Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for March 15th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the links in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor of this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, Israel Pal, Mike Spears. Join alongside for having his flu game this week. It is Case Low. In case we're going to have a short one this week, I know that you're under the weather. We're we're dipping into historical content this week. We're talking Kness and Yoshino, and I already know the answer of it. But how are you doing, bud? I am doing okay. I apologize to everyone listening in advance. We're talking about one of the most important feuds in the history of Dragon Gate. This is an episode that longtime fans should be able to enjoy, and new fans that maybe just found out about this podcast or just started watching Dragon Gate, they should be able to learn a lot from this podcast. They are going to have to put up with my voice. I'm so sorry. I sound like Blake from Jawbreaker around the time they recorded Kiss the Bottle, which means nothing to most of you listening, but for a few people, very good reference. You're welcome. Uh, this is <laughs> this is the best my voice has sounded all day. There was a, a point this afternoon where I didn't think I was going to be able to record. This is my flu game. I am built different. I am powering through, but I apologize in advance. Hey, we all have like those things that it's just like you, you sound like crap and you, you we were talking before you got on air. I know that you're feeling a little better, but this is not going to be a long one this week, both because of, you know, y- y- you know, this is your flu game, but we're not going to go have you go out there, play all 48 here. Case, you know, did, did, did Michael Jordan play all 48 minutes in the flu game? No, because Michael Jordan's a pussy. Oh, there we go. There. I'm sorry. I'm very anti-Michael Jordan. That's one of, like, 
I can be wavered in a lot of things. I can't stand Michael Jordan. He's a degenerate gambler. He's a bad person. He's the second greatest basketball player of all time behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I, you know, you want to put LeBron second or third, I don't care. I th- I still think Kareem is number one. But I, I, it's very tough living in Chicago and having to deal with so much Michael Jordan lore constantly, you know, almost 25 years after he stopped playing for the Bulls, I'm sick of it. I don't care for the guy. I don't care for his legacy. And no, he did not play all 48 minutes in the flu game. I am going to put on a 48-minute a forty-eight minute podcast about Masato Yoshino Kness, which is far braver than anything Jordan ever did. Oh, there we go. There we go. We're bringing the heat in the flu game. Uh, speaking of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the best actor on Winning Time. I, I know we've talked about Winning Time like intermittently a little bit. The best actor on Winning Time, yes, a show that includes John C. Riley, is Salman Hughes, who plays Kermit Abdul-Jabbar. Like, it's only two episodes in, and it, it's insane how much I dis I dislike John C. Riley in this show. But like Jerry West, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, the guy playing Magic Johnson, all fantastic. But John C. Riley's driving me insane right now on this showcase. So I have not seen any of Winning Time yet. I was so bummed out. I don't remember if you were in the Voices of Wrestling Slack or in the EE Discord. I don't remember which one it was, but you started railing against the show. And I was so bummed out because the only other person that I hear talk about Winning Time a lot is Chris Zellner on my Twitter feed. And Zellner's been putting it over like crazy. And I keep on going, oh, man, today's the day I'm going to sit down and watch Winning Time. And it just hasn't it just hasn't happened yet. And then I saw you just destroying it a few days ago and i got so bummed out so I, I i'm not able to form an opinion on it just yet i think it looks really good i'm excited to watch it but i i cannot offer any takes on it other than that i think it looks good i i'll say this it's i there's a lot of that we we've talked about the big short adam mckay and a lot of stuff that he really kind of defined in the big short he brings forward but it's not necessarily in the hay like i always refer to the selena gomez and nobel prize economist playing blackjack like they do like those things those and those uh breaking the fourth wall instances and they kind of go a little bit overkill with it early and john c Riley just is like eating scenery and he's being like i'm john c Riley, but i'm dr jerry bus but i'm john c Riley in this and i'm like we're doing a historical like comedy drama about the rise of the showtime lakers here and john c Riley is just just chewing on the walls here and then there's weird technical things that only bother me and that's my cross to bear like <laughs> like applying film grain for one shot and then it instantly applying a film effect that's supposed to look like a 1979 videotape that bothers me and that's me i'm an i'm an unbearable person yeah, but, that's that's a specific to you problem that I unfortunately yes. cannot show you any sympathy for. That's just a weird thing to have a beef with. No, no, no. It, that that's entirely me. But it, it's a show that I find interesting. I don't know if I like it, but I find it fascinating, and I'm going to continue watching it. And maybe it's something like they have. Uh, this is not. I don't feel like I can spoil the show too much since it's a, it's based in history but they spent a lot of time talking about jerry west's like backstory and how miserable jerry west is and that they, they managed to do it like in such a way that i was like all right these are the moments that i'm like truly into this show so you know give it a shot when you're ready i mean i think you should watch fabulous gemstones because i need to talk to you about how insane the season is especially if you're man man on the show so you know go 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 with god but you know, I 
I'm an unbearable person. I get bothered when you use a 16 millimeter After Effects and you compare that the next shot, like six seconds later, and only me notice this, Umatic film, Umatic videotape. That bothers me personally. And That's right. I, I do. I do owe you two HBO shows now because I need to catch up on gemstones. I am, of course, a Tim Balt stan. And my understanding is he crushed it this past season. And then I need to catch up on winning time as well. Um, while we're talking about stuff that isn't Dragon Gate, can I have an <laughs> on-air production meeting with you real quick? Okay. Can we talk about Shima versus Okada next week? Yeah, we we probably... I, I mean... That's... <laughs> with, all, with all due respect to the Super J-Cast guys, lovely human beings... This is our domain. This is our match. Shingo winning the title, great. Good for him. Not relevant to Dragon Gate anymore. Shima versus Okada, incredibly uh, uh, important content for the Open the Voice Gate podcast. Yeah, and it's like something where everyone's like, oh yeah, Shima's doing this. How far is it going? I was like, as soon as I saw his bracket, I was like, oh yeah, Shima's going to beat like the first three people and then lose to Okada. Like, was that your reaction when you saw the bracket for Shima? Like, there's no way he was going to lose to Hiroki Goto. Shima doesn't lay down for that, right? I, I knew we were going to get Okada versus Shima. There's been some conspiracies of Shima beating Okada, and I have sucked into that wormhole now. I want that to happen so badly. Do we think that Chima has worked uh, uh, both Liger and uh, Dick Togo into getting a title shot? Like, <clears throat> this might make me reassess, like, how dire things have been with Gleet and OWE and his Hall of Fame case if he pulls this off, to be quite honest. Because I was almost on my way out case on Chima in the Hall of Fame. But if he pulls this off here, like, this is a master stroke. And, you know, he's not... Uh, maybe this is how they they got him to, like, be like, all right, Shima, you can come aboard here. Like, like remember when Zero One was about to, like, basically, like, it felt like they were remaking the company because Shima was coming and it was getting a, a world title shot at Sumo Hall. Like, it, it, maybe we're, we're seeing a little bit of that here, and I think that's fascinating. And then Okada, boy, UD06. Like, the one, like, shining light of UD06 versus the linchpin of Torimon Japan. And the first time they would have ever been in the ring together is just inherently fascinating to me. You know, that Shima versus Masato Tanaka match ended up happening. It happened in Cork and Hollis at a sumo hall. And that's a real bummer because that match was really, really good. And I, that did not get the hype that it deserved. That was a really unique match with two total pros, and I thought they crushed it. So uh, that was really good. That was the last time Shima popped up in Zero One. I, you know, I, I, I don't know about Shima going over and on. I do think it's going to be a really good match, and I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's something where when Shima wants to be incredibly giving, he could be incredibly giving. And I have not watched any of the uh, New Japan Cup or Wrestle Kingdom, so I can't speak on him in New Japan. Like, that would be completely fraudulent of me. But it does, I do get the impression that we are getting Shima of working shoes, not Shima on a vacation wanting to fuck around here. Like, no, this well, is the big time. Shima's got to work. I, you know, I haven't seen any of the new Japan uh, cup stuff, but my, my understanding is that he's killed it because he's Shima. And when the spotlight is on, he steps up. Right. So I mean, I'm not going to completely slander Galit again here. I'm not slandering. I'm speaking truth. What am I saying? I, I'm not going to bury and work stuff on Galit here, but 
if they are able to work through some things with certain people on that roster that Shima has dealt with in the past, I mean, that's the only place that he's going to be making big money. And I, whenever I look at Gleed, I look at the houses and I look at how things are going for them. And I look at their revenue streams and I go like, that's a short-term pay. Like, bringing Shima in, especially with how their house style has changed over the last decade, there's worse things to do to get the strong hearts in. It gets a landing spot for T-Hawk eventually. Linda Bank is going to be fine regardless, but... You know, it's it. I I don't know anything. I think that it's kind of a fascinating path that could be happening here, and that's just my pure speculation, though. Well, it's interesting to see Shima slowly developing a home in New Japan. Linda Man has his ongoing program with El Desperado, so he has somewhere to be, and T Hawk is working the Champion Carnival. Yep, he is working the Champion Carnival. Uh, hopefully, All Japan controlled more than two hundred and twenty people there. Oh, my God. Again, I mean, look, it sounds harsh, but we're both on the same page. I think the wrestling scene would just be so much healthier if all Japan just went away. Um, Unfortunately, in the landscape of modern Japanese wrestling, they wouldn't just filter into other promotions. There would be another promotion that would pop up and take more low-level guys, try to make the main eventers, and it would be another promotion that doesn't draw. But all Japan doing 200-plus in Cork and Hall last week is an abomination. I mean, still, I, I the the best drawing card they've had in Cork and since the start of the pandemic was the January second show this year that was headlined by T Hawk and L Lindeman in an All Asia Tag Team Title match. Yeah, I mean, it's hoping that because I looked at the blocks and I it just like I just like okay that's. Well, that's what they that's what they can do now and uh does not look uh, i mean they do have a dojo i mean the saito twins for as much as we say like i mean they they, they do have like an influx of talent but you just kind of take a step back and you're like really all japan you you, you had a because it was a uh, i don't know if it was all asia a world tag team title match that drew that 220 like it's bad I, yeah, I think it was the All Japan Heavyweight Tag Team Titles. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't feel like looking it up because it's 2022 All Japan, and <laughs> I'm sure during this podcast we're going to dive into Cage Match quite a bit. This is not going to be one of those times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting thing for Strong Hearts. You know, I mean, that match is going to happen on Sunday. I might like reactivate New Japan World for that match. Like that's enough for me to be like, all right, that's. That's worth nine bucks for me to see first time Shima versus uh, uh, Kazuchika Okada. Like, I, I think that's a fair amount of money to pay to watch that match. All right. Now, Mike, I am violently coughing off air as you talk. So I think now is the time to transition to our topic at hand for uh, both me and the listener's sake. Yeah, let's get into it. So we've talked occasionally about Kness in light of his upcoming retirement on April 7th. We will have more coverage about Kness and his career and looking towards that retirement show as we get closer to it. But a couple of weeks ago, we decided to both pick uh, uh, Kness versus Yoshino matches. And due to time, we were like, all right, we can't do the entire, uh, give these matches like the respect they deserve. So we decided this week to get into with the exception of Dragon Kid, 
the biggest feud of Kanasa's career and one of the biggest feuds of Masato Yoshino's career. And we have a, a series of matches that we found. A lot of them are on the network, luckily. So you can go seek them out there that way. But it's time to talk about the history of Masato Yoshino slash Yoshino and Kness, also known as it's time to talk about some hot fighting case. Absolutely. So in the history of Dragon Gate, the top feuds of all time. I think you have to put Shingo versus Hulk number one. Other than that, a straight one versus one feud. It's very hard to top the legacy that Yoshino versus Kness has at this point in time. Would you agree with that? I mean, uh, I I would put all time probably Shima Mochizuki as okay, like, that yeah. one. That was a feud that lasted basically close to 20 years before they both left before shima left but after that yeah shingo versus hulk and probably right there it's yoshino versus kness because this is a feud like when we talk about like other rewind and rewatches in the past where it's very concentrated this is a feud that they had seven matches seven singles matches from 2002 to 2013 at and of course they had a bunch of tag and trios and three ways and all of that. But this was something that Dragon Gate constantly would go back to with the two of them, especially when Kness's health was permitting that, that they realized in 2002, starting with the first match that they had in T2P that these two guys just from the jump had incredible chemistry and they were doing matches, singles matches that were distinctly different than a lot of the singles matches that you'd be seeing in the promotion at the time. Yeah, in terms of the all-time great feuds, even just with Yoshino, you could point to, obviously, Yoshino versus Naruki Doi, but I don't think they have a signature singles match. And then you have Yoshino versus Dragon Kid, who, between Gate of Destiny 2008 and the way that they carried the initial Dragon Gate International brand on their shoulders, you have a lot of signature matches there, but you don't necessarily have the hate. Yoshino versus Kness has the matches and it has the hate. It's really impressive in the grand scheme of things. Right, yeah. And it's something that very much became... First was rooted in Toriyama Japan versus Toriyama 2000 project, but it had different ebbs and flows. And there's like... And unlike the Shingo versus Hulk feud, and unlike Shima versus Mochizuki, where there was kind of a little back to forth here... I would argue that over the last over the eleven years of this feud, there was a clear storyline about this. So I think it's worth stating here, and I don't think that is a big spoiler. Uh, Kness never would have a singles victory over Yoshino or Masato Yoshino throughout their seven matches. They never, he never got the win there, and several of them were title matches. Several of them were for the NWA World Welterweight Title. Uh, during the Toriman days, and then the Brave Gate tournament, and then a their final match was a Brave Gate title match at Kobe World 2013. But there is a story here of Kness figuring out Masato Yoshino, and I think that that is kind of the thread line that like starts in 2002. And each match with these two guys, you're you're seeing Kness do different things to try to get the one. Kness learning from the other matches that they had. And altogether, it kind of told a story that you don't necessarily see in these big heated rivalries. Because, uh, yeah, right, because 
Doi and Yoshino, I can't really tell you a storyline being told in the matches. It erupted out of Doi being jealous of Yoshino, not willing to be his flunky. Uh, Shima Mochizuki had so many different things go on for, but most of the time it was for the title belts. This match was basically, this feud, I would argue, like, told this is like two guys that went from hatred to respect and an underlying thing of Kness trying to finally get this win over Masato Yoshino and coming up short, but again, coming closer each and every time. So we're going to talk about five matches here. I watched four of them because, quite frankly, I just forgot about a fifth one in the middle, but... You could probably watch all five of these matches in an hour. They're not super long matches, and the match-to-match-to-match-to-match progression is really satisfying to watch. Right, yeah. So I rewatched a lot of this stuff today, and it was about an hour and 15 for all five matches. Like, the longest match is like 15 minutes between them. And it starts off on December 26th, 2002, in Torimon 2000 Project, with the end, uh, this was the first match they had between the two of them on a Torimon uh, 2000 project show. I think this was like one of the last ones, one of the last individual ones before they got into the overall uh, breakup of, of Torimon 2000, if I'm right. Yes, this is the second to last T2P show. And it came at the end of 2002, where in a one week period from December 20th through the 26th, they ran Cork and Hall three times, uh, two Torimon proper shows with the in-ring return of Ultimo Dragon as a semi-active, semi-regular competitor. The December 20th show, he teamed with Dragon Kid in the main event against Ray Bucanero and Ultimo Guerrero. And on that show, they do a fan vote for matches on the 25th and the 26th, the 25th being a Torimon show and the 26th being that T2P show. The dream matches on the 25th were Masaki Mochizuki and Toru Owashi and Stalker Ichikawa and the T2P kid, uh, Kenya. Help me with that last name, Mike. What was that guy's last name? Oh, Kenya Oyanagi. Thank you. Yes, yeah, Stalker versus Kenya Oyanagi. And then on the 26th, Imagine Yoshino versus Kness isn't even the top dream match on that show. This was their first meeting, but headlining that was Shima versus Milano Collection AT. So this is an all-time great T2P show. It's headlined by Shima versus Milano, but I think the legacy of this show is largely remembered by Yoshino versus Kness. I mean, to just just give people the sense of what well, we're going to cage match in minute 20 here, uh, just to get a sense of how big the show in this week was, not only were Ray Bucanero and Ultimo Guerrero coming into Torimon here, this is my main event on this 26th show, is uh, is Kenichiro Rai, Masaki Mochizuki, and Toru Awashi versus Norman Smiley, Perry Saturn, and Ultimo Dragon. Big time, big time show. Big loaded, time show. There was no loaded. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Sato twins were unmasked as Sachioka Machine three and four on here. We had Do Fixer versus Italian Connection. So like this, all in all, was like a huge show for them. But really, the big the big match that everyone came away talking about was Yoshino versus Kness and this match. And it is the only singles. It, it was like the the thing that like really shook out to me was like oh. This the like having this match in the T two pay ring, considering the fact of how, and we've talked about this case, how Yoshino was just overwhelmingly protected 
on in Torimon because you like look at the show. We just talked about this. Shima beat Milano. Yoshino beats Kness here. And that really kind of goes to the thing of Milano being the ace, but Yoshino being the most protected person here. And the the big thing, the big story about this match is Kness kind of dismantling Yoshino and then Yoshino coming out of nowhere and getting a last gas, turning the uh, Darkness Buster into Torbellino and submitting Kness in their first matchup with the Sol Naciente. Yes, so just for context as to where these guys are in their career, this is one of the early Kness matches. Of course, he lost the Darkness Dragon character in September of 2002. Um, As my voice continues to go, I'm so sorry. Um, But... But he loses that Darkness Dragon character in 2002 in September and then quickly finds his way into the new unit known as Doofixer under the leadership of Magnum Tokyo. And he's in there with Susumu and with Saito, and they are running roughshod through this promotion at this point. And so you see a lot of great interference spots between the Italian connection, who are well-established at this point. They're the kings of T2P. They're the only thing relevant in T2P. And then you have this new do-fixer unit. And so even just, even the seconds in this match are hot. Like, this is the definition of hot fighting. Yeah, and do-fixer coming out of the Mascara Contra Mascara match, where uh, Milano joins M2K, and it's all very kind of like, oh, now this, because Mochizuki leaves after he loses his hair and swears to have clean fighting and is expelled. And afterwards, Kness says, I'm going to team with with a, uh, with a Dragon Kid, and we're going to be like Doofixer, basically. And it's revealed later on that M2K is actually the true Doofixer, and almost everyone from M2K basically defect in mass when Kness proves that he has not gotten over losing his mask he remasks himself as Kness and Doofixer becomes the heel unit for the next few years up really until Aganisu comes out here and with Italian connection and T2P as you said like there were other acts in T2P in the late part of it like we have the Royal Brothers were in the opener in this match to give you a sense of that they saw around but it really kind of solidified and that this was the big group coming forward out of T2P and this would be the group that would endear and endure and it, it will have a different permutations and different kind of uh, uh, breakdowns throughout this uh, episode here but I mean the, the big thing was that really uh, you already start seeing Kondati Suji and uh, Masato Yoshino Yoshino not being on the same page and like the big one of the big things is the first time that it feels like that Yoshino gets on the attack is because it is that we have Suji getting involved and Suji immediately gets kicked and then during the big rope run interference spot, you have the fact that Kness gets out of the way and Shuji, and Shuji hits him during this. And that leads into the do fixer rope running thing, which is one of those things that I think the Torimon 2000 ring really lends to is because you have, you have the six corners. So you could do the ones that are just straight across the ring. So you're not like running diagonally. So I thought that was a really cool image in this match. To put this match on the ped- on a pedestal in the easiest way possible is just to say that through all of the matches we watch, but especially in this T2P match, there's nothing in wrestling that looks like this right now. This is on an island completely unto itself, and when I was watching all these Kness matches, 
my uh, my first thought was, oh my god, Mike Quackenbush is just Aldi Kness. Like Kness does so many things better than what Quackenbush envisions himself doing, which was really funny to me. But the pacing, the grappling, the striking, nothing in wrestling looks remotely like this in 2022 and especially in t2p with this crowd with this atmosphere with this ring this is such a unique viewing experience because you really maybe you disagree but i can't i can't even remotely compare to something that's happening right now no no because you also have the fact of you have the unit kind of warfare happening and and in such a way that compounds upon it and i mean the fact that basically uh kness spends 10 minutes basically doing a whole lot of knee work and then when yosino gets like these gasps it's like he does the kamori into the ropes but then susumu comes and just sliding kicks him right into the face and it, it, it it's something that you really see like with kness is just he is such a rounded wrestler in a way, he had does so many like just different ways of working that you don't see anymore. And the Quackabush comparison, like like I almost want to say, like I don't know, if that's being really too fair to Kness there, but there is a vein there that that you totally see. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's you know that was just the the first comparison that I made in my head was, oh my god. You know, Quackenbush wishes his counters were as unique and clever as Kinesa's were, and he wishes his strikes looked as good as this, and his grappling was as intricate and interesting as it, as it, as Kinesa's was. It is just not. I will say about the T2P match, it's not the best match that we watched between these two. I actually think my pick for the best match might surprise you, but... It is my favorite match just because of it being in the T2P setting. The crowd for all of these matches, but especially this one, the crowd is molten. I mean, by the end of this, after that Kineska run-in, uh, the Dufix run-in that, that's capped off by the Kineska double-team spot, they are so hot for the finishing stretch. It, it makes me miss fans in the contemporary age, but it just makes me reflect on the animals that were T2P. Yeah, I mean, so Yoshino gets him to tap out, and I apologize, I'm dripping, I'm sliding between Yoshino and Yoshino here, it's just, I'm scoring for him as Masato Yoshino, it just makes things easier for me. Uh, after he submits him, they start throwing streamers into the ring in celebration, and so that's just something you just never see, even in like 2016 Dragon Gate, when they still had streamers, and just like, people were really getting behind him, and it's something that would continue when he would become the NWA World Welter Champion because that is a belt that he basically makes his own for the remainder of Torimon Torimon Japan. Yeah, and it leads us into uh, the what is now known as Kobe World 2003. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network, and I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy, and let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 
is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The UFI has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four month lifespan, two way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24 seven customer support. And you'll love this. None of those pesky monthly fees. Yuffie sent me a Smart Lock 330, and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus, it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car if I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys, and the two-way audio system works well for those unwanted guests at my front door. No, I do not need new siding or windows or a roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock ufiofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill that's right. This is from this is from June 29th, uh, 2003. This is the fourth anniversary show at Kobe World Canon Hall. This was for Yoshino's World Welterweight title versus Kness here. And this is this was the one of the matches that we picked to wa- to talk about before. And it's something that I wrote it down then and when I wrote, wrote it down again is this is one of the more effective matches that you will see people working the arm and working the shoulder because both these guys come into this match incredibly banged up. Yeah, they come in with real-life shoulder injuries, and they play the match off of that. And, uh, you know, if somebody were to ask me, hey, I've been watching Dragon Gate for a while. I really like the style, but I want to know what Toriumon was like. You know, how was the vibe different? I would show them, obviously, the August 30th, 2003 tag match. I think I would show them Mulatto versus Saito from the first T2P show just because that's such a fun exhibition. But then I would probably show them this match next. This is quintessential Torimon wrestling. I mean, this is as good as it gets. Yeah, and the big thing about this match, at least from Kness, is he shows that he has counters for Yoshino's moves that he learned from the match. Not even basically six months before and he breaks out what i think is one of my favorite submissions in dragon gate history the soul notches l which is a variant of a way of him getting out of the soul naciente and it's one of those more like insane 
moves here and it's showing that Kness is, as I said, like this is the through line. Kness is learning to adapt here. And this is the thing that like Kness would talk about in promos was like how invigorating the fight is because he's learning to adapt and how it's such a hot fighting because it was so passionate and it was so back and forth. And the, the other big thing about this is we're starting to see six months later how the Italian connection is starting to splinter here as as uh, Kandadi Suji and Yashi were just constantly all over this and eventually get ejected halfway through this match. So I really like the interference aspects of this match because they're so heated. If this fell onto a mute crowd, I would not care for it, but it clearly registered with the people in the building enough to where I look at that and I go, you know what? That That is interesting. It's it's really odd to watch this technical classic interspersed with, you know, almost attitude era like interference spots. It's a really strange dichotomy, but I think it just adds another layer to this match that makes it even that much easier to sink your teeth into. Right, yeah, because like you have that here, you have Venezia, aka Zuki, the uh, mini from Mexico. So as you watch this match, this match is up on the network. the uh, The previous match will be up on the network in a few months. But y- you have the fact that uh, Do Fixer basically stole uh, uh, Venezia, and Venezia was seen more as Yoshino's mascot in the same way that Minorita is Kota Minora's mascot. So, like, you had that kind of interplay here, and it just all came off very, like, the, the thing about this era and about Italian Connection is that it's such, like, you think it's such a stylized unit. You think that it's such a stylized presentation, and it's something that, like, you, as a viewer, you have to, like, go, like, all right, these guys are are obviously not Italian. Like, that's kind of, like, the end joke. But you also have the fact that it's like, oh, we have Mikuru, the, the invisible dog for for Milano Collection AT. We have Venezia, Yoshino's monkey friend. And then we have the fact that, 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 that Yagi is lying about how he is a fisherman, but actually he's the son of a baker. And the fact that Brother Yashi did not want to be Italian. <laughs> so they made up the fact that now he's his cousin here. But it was such, like, an organic and complete act and it was something that you you know i mean all it requires is the crowd investment and the crowd just goes nuts for the fact that basically milano goes and pulls away two of the members of that would later form aganisu and the fact that you kind of have really in a unit that does other than like uh early m2k like especially after kinky horikuchi came in like mochizuki kind of was cleaning up his act and the other guys weren't having it but you really have the idea of a heel unit or a unit that was portraying tweeners. You have one people who want the clean fight and one people, one group of people want to have the dirty fight. And this is really the big implementation of that here with the Italian connection. Yeah. And then on the Kness side of things, you know, 2003 might be his best in-ring year. And it ends in October. He gets hurt and misses an entire year. He doesn't come back until it is Dragon Gate in October of 2004. But you watch his progression throughout this year. It's a guy who was obviously great as Darkness Dragon. He would be great later on in his career. But 2003, right before that first big injury, it feels like he is in his prime as a performer in this match. Yeah, yeah, and it, like, really shows, like, he's able to, like, even, like, I mean, they're both coming in injured here, 
and it's just like the smooth transitions that he would have out of the Torbellino, like and into the Torbellino from Yoshino, like the Darkness Buster into the Torbellino, and then the way that uh, Kness's shoulder and and arm fell after the Darkness Buster was something really sick. And then you also have the fact that Yoshino realizes that the Solnaciente, the guy has a counter for it, so I can't really go for this here. So he, I, I try to look up this move case, but I can't find out what it was called. But he does a variant, basically, of an arm trap, like, leg figure or head figure four to submit Kness here. And it's, like, one of those things that, like, it becomes very kind of special within the series of matches because the crowd picks up on this fact that this is how he retained this belt against him, and it plays off through the remaining matches of the series. Yes, this is a Solnaciente that he only used against Kness. He won with it here. He won with it in the December 2006 Speed Muscle versus Kaneska tag match. I don't know if he ever won another match with it, but it is, you know, I'm a fan of the Solnaciente anyway. I think it's a great looking finishing move, but it somehow he, he cranks up the intensity and velocity of it against Kness with this specific uh, modification to it, which unfortunately I also cannot think of the name of. Yeah, that's something we might need to ask someone on a future show. I, I so. promise he will know it because he referenced it on a podcast I was listening to last night, and I just didn't write it down. <laughs> hey, I mean, that happens to the best of us. Uh, do you have any more thoughts about the Kobe World match before I get into the rematch they would have a couple of weeks later? It is essential viewing if you've never seen it. Yep, and this match is up on the network on the Kobe World. Like it, It's an edited Kobe World from 2003 or anniversario but the match is up there in full there uh a match that i caught because i was like oh i have this match i i i should check it out here is from august 10th 2003 so five weeks later and this is a rematch for the nwa world welterweight title and it, it's interesting because the few changes with this match because now that the two of them now respect each other and they like the fighting that they bring to each other and it's something where like you see well like do fixer does not get involved in this italian connection is not a part of it and this and it, it's something that now he has the the big thing here is that kness now knows that he has the answer for the soul naciente and then yoshino goes for the cross arm figure for the kness variant here but the thing that happens is that kness is able to get to the ropes and then they start going into pin combinations, which really was he was able to get out of the Sol Nochezel. So he figured it out here. And he does a he goes for the from jungle and he turns that into a crucifix hole to win. I don't think I the, the next match we're going to talk about is my favorite match of the series case. But this was like the progression one of like, all right, now we're seeing where we could take it through now that this is our third match in a year. And sadly, as you said, Kness gets injured not more than a month and a half after that and is out really up until the match we're going to talk about in 2005. Yeah, so unfortunately, I don't have anything to add here, but Mike saying that this next match is his favorite is fascinating to me. So please, let's jump ahead to 2005 if that's okay with you. Absolutely. So this is for the inaugural Open the Brave Gate Championship match, the first round match. This is March 3rd, 13th, 2005. I had the uh, venue. It was pulled up a second ago. I don't think this... This is Starlings, right? No, this, this, is, a, this is a Nagoya. Okay, so the one before this was in Starlings. 2008, 
10 2003 was from was from Starlines. This one's from the Goya International Center. And this is for the Open the uh, Bravegate Championship and I, I just love this match because this one really kind of comes as a culmination of all right, w- we're facing off against each other, but it might have been almost a year and a half ago the last time we faced each other, but Kness just really like like putting it together here you've Kness coming back from that first major injury and it this match for me is in a way that since like it took him basically three years to get back to having Yoshino's number because it felt like in this match at least during a lot of it for me case I felt like that Kness had Yoshino's number through a part of it and especially it's a Yoshino who seems really done with being the sexy Tarzan at this point well this is the show where he turns and joins blood generation right I thought that I need to pull this up now because Blood Generation coming together because they had Waku Waku Fuji Land for like that first few months. Well, that they Bl- had. Blood Generation forms on the first Corkin of 2005, January 14th. Because um, Doi, the, the main event of this show is Yoshino versus Doi, and Doi is full Blood Gen at this point. And there is a. So this show is a, a pay per view, so we get it all in full. We get all the tournament matches plus a really, really, really fun. Shima Fuji Shingo versus Mori Hulk Magnum Tokyo six man. So Blood Generation versus what would become Poss Arts. That match kicks ass. This whole show is great. I love this show. And I I really love this opening match. Yes. So uh Yoshino turns two weeks later. So okay. he does not right. turn until after this, because this is a one-night tournament and uh the, the conceit about the Brave Gate, at least during this time, was whenever it was vacated, they would have an eight-man tournament. And the thing is, is that the front plate would break off the eight pieces, and the big thing was, like, after it, everyone would have their pieces, and they and whenever someone was eliminated, they would take someone, take the loser's pieces, they would add it to the belt until, in the final, you would have the, the winner putting the final two pieces into the belt, and they would have the completed Brave Gate title. And it's something about this, like, thing, like, this was Yoshino really kind of uh, him and Kness when Kness returned the two of them was like we need to have a successor to the NWA world welterweight title and they decided that we're going to do this and we are kind of aligning each other because Italian connection for all intents and purposes was basically done at this point like it, like Milano was still around Mori was already moving towards pause hearts and they already dropped the triangle gate at this point so it was this was like the the last the last vestiges of it and maybe that's why he's over it i forgot that it was two weeks later that he joined blood generation well this is i mean this is italian connection truly at a dead point because milano leaves at the end of february and this is halfway through right. march so milano's not even there anymore so it's yoshino's unit and yeah he's over it and who could blame him because this it's interesting you know the t2p match both characters feel really fresh the 2003 uh anniversario match they both feel like they're at their apex. And then here, Kness feels very fresh, but Yoshino as a character is just not it. And luckily, the in-ring is so good that they make up for that. But it doesn't have... Now, I love this match. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot that I love to it. But it doesn't have that that character-driven oomph that I think the other three matches that I watched have. Yeah, and, and I think, like, instead of that, we had... 
uh, Kness, like, really, like, it, it, it's interesting, like, he goes back to the knee like he did in December of 2002, and there was, like, this knee buster spot where, like, he, he drives the Yoshino's knees first into the mat, and Yoshino just, like, screams bloody murder afterwards, and I was like, all right, this is really super sick. And then it the the way that Kness is like, all right, I am done with like like these pin combinations, and then gets caught in a big deep pin combination that the crowd explodes for when Yoshino finally gets the pin out of it because it's like, all right, we we, we have counters to each other's submissions. Now we're trying to get off holds in this match. I think that's what the like the progression is like, all right, we are doing this here and we are not the same people we are two years ago. We're kind of on the same page here. We're alive a little bit at this point. Like, Kness was a part of Final MTK, but it was one of those things that Yoshino and Kness were kind of teaming together at this point. Uh, do you know of the other people in this inaugural tournament case? Okay, let me see if I can name all eight off the top of my okay, head. Okay, here we go. So there's Yoshino, there's Kness, there's Doi, there's Super Shisa. There is uh, Psycho, I know was in this tournament, so that's five. The other three, I believe Raimu Mishima was in this tournament. And that leaves All right. me with- that was the one. That was the one I thought you were going to get skipped up on. Yeah, you got six out of eight. Uh, okay. He was Daniel at this point, though. Okay, wow. Okay, my bad. Um, the two wrestlers that I have not named, did they wrestle each other in the first round or no? Uh, so Psycho uh, penned one person, and Mishima penned another one. Oh, so oh, two okay. first line losers. You've named all the semifinalists. Yes, Psycho gets a pen over someone in this match in this tournament. Well, that change. Okay, that changes things drastically. So, so Mishima and Psycho went over in the first round. That's right. The semifinals were Yoshino versus Psycho and Doi versus Mishima. So was Dragon Kid not in this? He was not in the tournament, no. Okay, all right. That doesn't count as a guess because I was clarifying that he wasn't in it. So 2005 roster, you have to lose to Psycho and Daniel Mishima. (laughs) I I will give you – did you want one hint? No, not yet. Okay. Let let me – look, I'm working through a lot right now. Let me work through this. Um, So – is one of them Naoki Tanizaki? Naoki Tanizaki loses to Psycho in three minutes and 17 seconds. Great. Okay. Nailed that. Who was the last person in this tournament? Because it can't be a final M2K guy. Mori is in a six man. Who else is on the roster? It's 2005. There's like 12 guys on the roster. Um, okay. All right. Here is my my shot in the dark guess. Okay. If I'm wrong, tell me who it is, because I, I, I honestly do not know if it's not this person. Is it Black Tights Tozawa? It is Ginky Horiguchi. Oh, son of a bitch. What has Ginky Horiguchi ever done? <laughs> I, my hint was going to be uh, he is... He is a uh, stablemate of someone who was not in the tournament in Dragon Kid at that time, because this is wow. do fixer as faces. 
At this I point. so I have watched all of 2005 uh, as of this point two years ago because the first thing I did when COVID hit was <laughs> goddamn two years. We've been doing this show weekly for two years, which is a really good feeling, by the way. But holy shit, COVID has lasted for two years. The first things I did was I had Chad Campbell build me a list of IWA Mid South matches to watch, and then I got my hands on all of 2005 Dragon Gate, and I went through it all very quickly and loved it, but. I do not remember a nine and a half minute Daniel Mishima versus Genki Horiguchi singles match where Mishima went over. That does not sound familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess I, the better hint would have been, okay, he, I, I forgot that Tanion was in Do Fixer at this point too. So that, that would have been the better hint saying, okay, they both were in Do Fixer together. Then th- th- that wouldn't have given it away because you probably would have forgot that uh, Tanian was in Do Fixer as well, like I did. You know, believe it or not, Mike, I did forget Naoki Tanizaki's unit history at the start of 2005, and for that, I am underqualified for this podcast, I guess. <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I, I feel like a lot of people probably forgot like that. Yeah, uh, this is when he was Shingo Takagi's rival, which was kind of funny in retrospect. Like, it was awesome. They, really, they had a really good chemistry. They they did because Taniyama would brawl, and I mean that that, that plays right into Shingo's t- hand like playbook. But it's like one of those things that's like, yeah, no, yeah, we can get over this. Like you're done here because the thing is that Taniyama did a trial series to get into Do Fixer. Tanizaki lost all ten of ten matches, and he was given a five match retrial series, and then he lost all of them, and they still let him in afterwards. And this was right when. Uh, Magnum was like, you know, uh, th- this BB Hulk kid, uh, I like the cut of his jib. And, and and he tried to do like both of those and then pause hearts really came out of it there. But yeah, early 2005, I really ought to revisit early 2005 all the time. Well, I- I'm looking at the TV listings right now. So the TV that aired before this was BB Hulk's debut. And then he's in that great six man tag on this show. And then the TV after this is when Tozawa debuts against don fuji so we're in what became the era of the big six these guys are just debuting at this point in the company yeah and i mean who boy young boy tozawa like that was a trip because he was invited into final m2k but then he rejected it pretty soon after and it was always like kind of like a interesting thing because like hulk came in and he was already dancing and you had magnum with him and then you had shima of course with shingo and then it was like oh yeah uh so the person who is the senior to akira tozawa and i say this all the time it's not like Masaki Mochizuki, like one would think. Don Fuji would have a lot of matches against him, but it wasn't really Don Fuji. It was Kanichiro Arai, damn it. Yeah, you you wonder why for so many years Tozawa had a lot of resentment and anger, perhaps towards himself and the promotion, when you look at the way Shingo and Hulk debut, and then Tozawa just gets his ass kicked by Don Fuji for six months, basically. Yeah, and then you had uh, Katsuo coming out. Katsuo just, you know, being Katsuo and getting more over. And then very soon after, then you had uh, Yamato debut. And Yamato kind of was like, oh, yeah, no, I'll join Final M2K. That's fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> and Arakan, of course, leaves and then does uh, Tozawa Juku. So I think that that was always kind of one of those things. that's like, yeah, no, he's getting tied back to that. And then you also have 2006, man. That was a wild year because Renaissance, uh, Pentagon Black came through, uh, Pause Hearts, uh, 
the fact that um, Magnum really wanted to be in five stables in the same time. It was just insane. Well, in 2006, you also have the open the foreigner floodgate. You have uh, Dos Caras versus BB Hulk in a horrific Kobe world match. And then you have Shingo versus Fat Guy Pink Singlet Yoshi in an even worse Kobe world match. Like, like 2005, for all of the chaos with Milano leaving and, you know, really this company getting off the ground to a real extent because the rest of 2004 is is mostly a holding pattern 2005 is when things kick off and 2005 is maybe the best year they ever had 2006 does not have that same charm i mean 2006 was a rough kobe world just ugh. i mean because yoshi did not work yoshi and shingo that just was not happening well, there. Well, Yoshi's point. a horrible wrestler. That's why that didn't work. I mean, that's it's as simple as that. I've never seen the guy have a good match, and that includes him wrestling Shingo, so he's helpless at that point. Of course, Kobe World 2006, headlined by Shima versus Magnitude Kishiwata in a no-ropes match. And why was that? It's because it takes too long to put the ropes back up, so they might as well go on last. And that is why Shima stays winning. Yeah, God. I mean... I just like going back on it, like the fact that he pulled that off, and like at, at that point, people weren't pissed off at him <laughs> and still stuck around for a dozen years. And now it's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going over Goto. Fuck that. Goto's not going over me. Cause like, didn't he kind of get like fluke lost out of the uh, King of Pro Wrestling match, too? Like, he really has not suffered a loss in New Japan so far. No, he's the best. He stays winning. <sighs> what a man. What a man. But yeah, it, it's that this match, and I think it's really because of like the series there, because Yoshino then quickly gets into tag work. He does Bravegate stuff, and Kness is just—it's very hard for him at that point to like stay on the roster for a real continued period of time. That like that's another reason why this match especially resonates with me. I would say, and that's another reason why I kind of enjoyed it. And I mean, because like he pretty much soon after was immediately really kind of injured for a bunch and they kind of uh, took him, they kind of put him in in like singles matches and he started being one of the, uh, he kind of took over uh, Yuzushi Kanda's role as GM in a way. And then it really took him until 2007 with the, with Zeterans and it became kind of a thing that kind of let him keep on going with it. And this for a for a while that this was like another like brief high point for him until really in 2009 and 2010 when he finally had one of his last really long stretches on the roster that would continue pretty much up until the the our last match we're talking about on the show and that's from Kobe World 2013. So real quick, final thoughts on the 2005 match, uh, which I have at four stars. I have all of these matches that we've talked about at four stars or higher. There's two spots here that I loved so much that I, I just want to be sure that I mentioned them. They both happened pretty early in the match. One, where Yoshino goes for, uh, what's it, from, from Jungle, and then the counter to that is the Judah. Do I have that correct? Uh, from Jungle, the Judah is not, Judah is the uh, counter to the Christo. I'm trying to remember what the uh, counter right now to the... Well, you could do the Judah out of it because you drop down for it. Uh, there's the uh, 
Gosh, I'm brink. Yo, like, yo, I, Yoshino's been retired for eight months. I can't remember his moves now. What's the the kind of octopus hold looking thing he does? From jungle. And, from jungle. Andrew Rich is gonna kill us. Um, yeah. So, what's the counter to the front from jungle? That's what I'm blanking on. It, it, it's not a Yoshino's move. I'm blanking on. It's a Kness move. It doesn't matter. So Yoshino does the from jungle. Kness does his counter to that, and then Yoshino counters that counter into a roll up, which was awesome blew my mind and then a little bit later yoshino gets kness in the sol naciente kness reaches the ropes and this is the only time i've ever seen yoshino do this where he uh keeps the 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 wrist held he keeps contact with kness and just whips him across the ring and reapplies reapplies sol naciente i have watched hundreds and hundreds of Masato Yoshino matches. Some would even say I've watched 25 or so speed muscle matches. I have never seen Yoshino do that spot before, and I loved it. So I just wanted to be sure to mention that. Yeah, it was just was like a really sick uh, version of it. Uh, so I think I have the name, and I'm not positive about this, about the uh, Sol Naciente variant. The, tar- the Tarzan heart is the cross-legged STF, which is kind of what he did there. That sounds right. I will take your word for it. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say that's what it is. But yeah, oh, gosh. It, it, it's something about this because, like, yeah, the whole entire sequence written down here about this match is that, like, the viciousness in him whipping him away from the ropes right back into Sol Naziente going, like, not now, fucker. I'm, I, I've had your number for the last three years. We might be on a good page right now, but that's not happening here. I was the welterweight champion and I want to be the brave gate champion that thought that was like really, really special. I think I, I, I would say that the, I, I would go four on the T2P match four and a quarter uh, four and a quarter for the uh, fourth anniversary match three and three quarters for the uh, rematch that happened there. Just cause the rematch was actually a pretty short match was on, it was like 10 minutes on a dot. I was four and a half on this one. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It just, like just seeing the escalation with it and like the viciousness that they worked here, I thought was really kind of cool. I am at four and a half on the next match, the final one that we're going to talk about. Right. So this is 2013. This is for the open, the brave gate championship. Masato Yoshino defending against Kness here. And the the thing about this match is like you, they had like the great like music video ahead of time, like being like, oh yeah, we've been doing this for a decade now. Uh, Kness seems to be in a good place. I want to have this match here, and at least like from the like the music video it was like a really, it was a really like nice way of building up for it. And also you had like Yoshino completely just tanned out at this point, and Kness like looking in the best shape that he looked like. Like he looked like he was in the same shape, if not better, than he was in two thousand and two. So there's a number of things to really like about this match. I love this era of Kness where from June to July, he has that M2K reunion era. And I don't, Mike, do you remember this match? It was in Corken Hall, June 5th of 2013. It was Susumu Kness and Mochizuki winning the Triangle Gate belts, winning the Triangle Gate belts against Doi, Rich Swan, and Sachi Hoko Boy. Yeah, yeah. So like they did this was like the first big reunion they had there. That it was just like really just kind of sick. <laughs> that that like and it was something that like this was in the era before streaming. So we got the original 2K theme for it and it was like, "Oh, they took them all down for this year." And it was just like this it, it just was like, "Oh, it's the original M2K 
out here for once more. And this is after Kness came back uh, from like history of injuries and really kind of putting it together. Uh, he stayed out of Junction 3 and Blood Warriors forming a unit that I think gets too much crap. Windows MG. I thought Windows was a fun unit for what it was. And I, yeah. I, have, I have no issue with Windows. I will say I referenced that Triangle Gate match because it is so good. And it is just one of those matches that because the digital archive that Dragon Gate provides is so poorly, I, you know, it sucks. That's a match that I want to link to everybody, but I don't even have a copy of it anymore. I haven't seen it in years, but I love that M2K versus World 1 International match. And that leads to Kness getting hot. He wins a number one contender match over Naoki Tanizaki that leads to this match. And, you know, at this point, Kness in a big match can still go. There's the pageantry and the presentation of a Kobe world that they honed at this point. And then there is Masato Yoshino. And holy shit, man, he's good in 2000 uh, in 2002. He's great in 2003. He's a world class in 2005. And by 2013, he has somehow surpassed that level again. And it's really here. It's something about 2013 to me where Yoshino takes that level into legendary status because he he wins this match. He ends up winning the Dreamgate, you know, two months after this. And from that time onwards, Masato Yoshino is the guy. He is the legend that we we came to know and respect, ultimately retired last year. But this is that illustrious Yoshino run that made us care so much when he finally hung up the boots last year. In, in a way, it really begins with this match. Yeah, and you talk about his evolution here. He comes out in Italian Connection style Speedstar gear. That is just like you already have him being like, all right, this is not like my 10 year or 13 year anniversary, but this is this is the big feud that I had as a member of Italian Connection. And you had this and it really was in a way that like this was the moment and this was like the big era changing show like Kobe World 2013 is like because this was fourth from the top case this brave gate match was fourth to the top because we had yamato versus mochizuki in a no dq match we had for the twin gates a die fly versus bb hulk and akira tozawa and then the era ending match shima dropping the dream gate to to shingo takagi after the 15 title defense run like this was just such an insane just insane run of shows here and here's how good this show is that shima versus shingo match is great it's objectively great it is the worst of the last four matches because i think this match is clearly better yamato versus mochizuki is crazy underrated i don't know if anybody loves that match more than me but i fucking love that match and then doi and ricochet versus tozawa and hulk is one of the all-time great most loved highly regarded twin gate matches there's ever been yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things that like this this really was like if the uh, the the uh, Blood Warriors versus Junction 3 feud really embodied the promotion and set itself up for the next decade, this was the decade defining show that like set up the rest of it because like you even have like further down the card like you, you had Habu showing up against the against the Jimmies. So the Jimmies are already a part of this at this point. You have Mad Blanky at the point like right before Mad Blanky would start to change really like, like, like we're starting to see like the dying days of the sour mad blanky here 
and then like you have just like the the fact that the shing that the shima run was ended that way and yeah out of the four matches we mentioned the main event's the worst match and all of them are at least four and a quarter stars and the opener on that show is really good, too. I think Shima versus Shingo was better. But if you told me, hey, you know what? I don't really love their chemistry. I think the sixth man that opened the show, which was uh, Swan, Sachi Hokoboy, and Super Shisa versus Tamanaga, Super Shinlong, and Kotoka, in a way that match was really fun and kind of had a sort of charm to it. Of course, is it better than Shima versus Shingo? No, but it's really, really fun. Kobe World 2013, now that I sit here and think about it, fucking rocks. I mean, when your cooldown match is the is Cyber Kong, Habu, and Osawa versus the Jimmies, and that match still was not bad. Like, you have something on there. You do have to have Old Man Fujiwara on the show, but it was against Stalker, so it's okay. Cyber Kong, Habu, and Nozawa as a trio my god just insane stuff but getting back to the match at hand here it, it's something that like you have like the Ude Yoshino a move that he stopped doing and you have vampire scissors and just like the way that the crowd went nuts for the vampire scissors like this really felt like oh wow it feels like that uh Kness is back like yeah the darkness buster and all this stuff here and it's just like shows like a capstone of an 11 year of chemistry yes Kness did not get it over in the end but it was just like I, like yeah darkness dragon versus uh dragon kid that's my favorite match in company history and a lot of that is in the pageantry and a lot of that is just how that match is laid out here but for like the first 11 years this became kind of the feud and this became real this like was like ending that era of the feud before Yoshino would become the guy for the next nine years. This is the band playing their greatest hits, and it's everything you want it to be. It's not that they're old and that they can't produce anymore. It's not that, you know, five, ten years ago, they were younger and alive and those songs sounded better, and that this, you know, takes you back to that time. It's this band is playing their greatest hits, and they still kick ass. They're still top-notch professional wrestlers i love this match i love this era of yoshino so much i love when kness at this elder point of his career could hang with guys with guys in a big match it's this is everything that i want it to be and to your point about them breaking out old moves and the crowd being into it that was my biggest takeaway from watching these four matches is just how hot the crowd is for all of these matches i mean this goes you know it's an 11 year run from 2002 to 2013 using entirely different fan bases from t2p to kobe world 2013 and every stop along the way the crowd is molten for yoshino versus kness yeah and it's something that like like Yoshino goes for the drive-by kick within like the first two minutes of this match. <laughs> he, does the, he does the drive-by kick into a moonsault to the floor, which I, I don't think I've ever seen him do other than in this match. Yeah, like this is like, all right, we're going on this. Like, it's not just the band playing their greatest hits. It's like, hey, we're going to play some uh, some deep cuts, but we're going to do the deep cut, and this will be the best song you ever heard. It, it, was, tru it. it was truly fan service. I mean, it was everything... 
You know, we talk about this with a lot of the callbacks to certain storylines that Drangate has done in the past and how rewarding it is as a long-term viewer. Even here, just from a purely in-ring standpoint, this was so rewarding to see. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, we, we make the comments about hot fighting and this kind of, in a way, like, you don't necessarily see the hot fighting now, but this was kind of like the end of the era. This was like the last hot fighting match, I guess I would say in a way. And it, it's not that Kness would, his career would go quickly dovetail here. Like he's still, like we talked about the Jimmies and Mad Blanky and all of that. So he still had some of it there, but this felt like an encapsulation of his career because it was like no one that like resonates as much as, as Masato Yoshino with him. So like having this match on the biggest stage, like 10 years to the almost 10 years to the day since like their last Kobe world match here is really special. You know, Mike, I'm no broadcaster, but I am a fan of Norm Macdonald and we've referenced it so many times on the podcast, but I, I get the feeling just given some of the coverage that Dragon has gotten lately, we might have newer listeners to the show. Can you explain to the folks at home what hot fighting is? So, Hot fighting was something that Kness would say, like, and became kind of a phrase about this because, like, there's the fan service, like, like having Jimmy's was very much a fan service thing. But then you'd have like the matches that were incredibly invigorating. It would give you a hot feeling. You'd be pumped up, standing and pacing, like, like basically, this is the Dranky equivalent of standing and pacing. It's the best way to put it, I would say, Case. Yes, that is a that is honestly a great way to put it. That's really funny. That just came together to me right then, right there. <laughs> because, yeah, no, that's I mean, perfect. I, I mean, because you can see, like, Kness, like, after after this match, like, in the locker room, ripping a heater and just going, like, ah, that was what I live for. This is my <laughs> <laughs> very much a Davey Richards kind of promo after that. Oh, God, can you imagine? I imagine Kness, Kness going after his ex-wife in a promo? I, I can't imagine anything of the sort there. Kness is a nice man. That's very true. I've only heard good things. Well, only good things. Yeah, I'm. I'm right now looking at. I. You know what? I need to go find. And I. The, the sadly, 2013 is just a rough year to find this. The infant. The, the special 300th episode of Dragon Gate on Gaora. Guess what match Kness has in a singles match? Oh God, I have no idea. Kness versus Habo. Oh, oh, so four stars. Put it on the board. Yeah, 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 yeah. And not to prolong this episode, we're trying to keep it a little short here. Uh, they also have, in the main event, a open lottery 10-man tag team match. Shima, Don Fuji, Mochizuki, Saito, and Uha versus BB Hulk, Susumu, Yoshino, Doi, and Yamato. They go half an hour in that. Shingo versus Tozawa in seven minutes. I wonder why it was only seven minutes. That, that, was, that was the start of Monster Express. Uh, was... Yeah, they might have launched that here. Yeah, that makes sense because this Cause was be right before Kobe World that year. This was Kobe. Okay, wait, hold on. So this was right before World 2013. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This was before Kobe World. Well, then I'm wrong because Tozawa gets outed from Mad Blanky in August, so they did some sort of angle leading to Tozawa and Shingo becoming partners like a month and a half later. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, 
a match that you know maybe i'm a little perverted that i want to see this cyber kong versus kakatora in a singles match on this corkin no i'm good on that i don't need yeah. to see that shit. um i believe that main event my memory could be off because i haven't this was what that was actually you know that main event this was the first dragon gate show to air on ustream and i was not following the company at this point i did not watch it on ustream but that main event is one of the first dragon gate matches i saw I believe Shiba does a Meteora off of the, like, Cork and Hall tunnel on that show, or at least he teases it. I don't know if he actually hit it or not, but there's some nutty, like, Shima feeding off the crowd spots in that big tag. Yeah, it's just a wild show. Like, uh, the the opener is Swan, Ricochet, and Sachi versus uh, Ginky, Kanda, and Tanyan. Like, good stuff on this show. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's something that, like, this feud, like, we're watching this, like, you see Dragon Gate pass through the eras, you know? Because you, you have something in the first match of feud is in T2P, very cemented. Like, this isn't the aftermath of uh, Toriyama Japan versus T2P. But you have, like, the last vestiges of that. And then in 2003, you already have the combined roster. You have the fact that Yoshino is already kind of protected. You have Do Fixer in there. And then you have a match from 2005, you know, early days of Dragon Gate proper. And then you, you jump forward to 2013 when it's its own distinct thing going through its own, like, unit shifts and generation changes. And the fact that it this is the show that launches the big six era is the last time that kness and masada yoshino have a match it's kind of perfect in that way I no, it's, it's really like flipping through a history book in that sense and i will close on one of the first points that i made which is that all of these matches that we talked about there's nothing in wrestling that feels quite like these matches no one is doing the grappling at the pace they're doing Obviously, no one is working at the speed they were working at, and no one is telling these intricate 12 to 15 minute stories in a singular match the way that Yoshino and Kness did. I cannot recommend them enough if you have not seen them. The two Kobe World matches, the 2003 and the 2013, those are on the network. The T2P match will be on there shortly. The 2005 match, good luck. I, I don't know when. <laughs> um, you know, if you ask really nicely, maybe I'll send it to if you really want to see it. But uh, yeah, it's the, these are matches that if you like Dragon Gate, if you like Toriyaman and you've never seen these, this is 101 stuff. This is stuff that you will love if you've never seen it. And if it's been years since you've watched it, take some time and revisit it because these matches are so much fun. Yeah, no, the, at the very least, the two uh, Kobe World matches are required viewing, I would say. And, you know, they're up on the network, so go out there and check those out and then you know i think it's probably going to be i would guess november when they'll pop up that t2p match so you know just like if we're listening to the show in two months and check it out then i guess but case we went an hour 15 your voice i i, I know you were kind of worried about it if you'd be able to perform you did great in your flu game but I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry to anybody that made it through this i should have just let Mike do the show solo. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I had nothing to prove. We didn't have a sponsor. There's no reason for me to be here. So if you if you made it this far, truly thank you. I promise I'll be back enough at 100% next week. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
the there is a show this weekend in Kobe that they have coming up, but that's that's it for the month of March. So we'll be doing a lot more Kness stuff in upcoming weeks. You could follow us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. Uh, you could follow me at Fujihaya Cases at underscore in your case. That's going to do it for Open the Voicegate. We'll be back with you next week talking more about Dragon Gate. Take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.